States love lies. And that's the problem. So when they hear truth, they just don't want to hear it because that's truth. You can't have truth. And that's the way it is. Now, obviously it's not flag day today. It's another day. That's just letting you know some stuff. Um, so yesterday I had a visitor, camera shy, voice shy. Fair enough. Um, had work to do. So that's all right. I have to tell you that something really big is happening. There's, um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but even my own kid is being deployed. And, um, so, and they're moving units that are very, very specific. So something's happening. Something very, very important is happening. And I think all of you are starting to see it. But I thought that today uh, we can kind of remind ourselves what peace through strength really, really means. Uh, we tend to forget that a lot, uh, what it actually means to have peace through strength. And what does that mean? Does it mean that we have firepower? Does it mean that we have what does it exactly mean is the question. So I thought that I would share this um, short audio clip with you guys. Let me make this an absolute fact. The goal is world peace. That must be our prime responsibility. We are the leader of the free world, whether we want to be or not. And therefore, we are the only ones that can preserve the peace. And to do that, we must have strength. Meeting this mission and this responsibility for preserving the peace, which I believe is a responsibility peculiar to our country, that we cannot shirk our responsibility as the leader of the free world because we're the only one that can do it. And therefore, the burden of maintaining the peace falls on us. And to maintain that peace, requires strength. America has never gotten in a war because we were too strong. I've always believed that this land was set aside in an uncommon way, that a divine plan placed this great continent between the oceans to be found by a people from every corner of the earth who had a special love of faith, freedom, and peace. Let us reaffirm America's destiny of goodness and goodwill. Let us work for peace. And as we do, let us remember the lines of the famous old hymn, O God of love, O King of peace, make wars throughout the world to cease. There's some who've forgotten why we have a military. 
It's not to promote war. It's to be prepared for peace. There's a sign over the entrance to Fairchild Air Force Base in Washington State. That sign says it all. Peace is our profession. only too well that war comes not when the forces of freedom are strong it is when they are weak that tyrants are tempted of all the objectives we seek first and foremost is the establishment of lasting world peace but let our friends and those who may wish us ill take note. The United States has an obligation to its citizens and to the people of the world never to let those who would destroy freedom dictate the future course of life on this planet. There are no words to express the extraordinary strength and character of this breed of people we call American. They're concerned, yes. They're not frightened. They're disturbed, but not dismayed. They are the kind of men and women Tom Paine had in mind when he wrote during the darkest days of the American Revolution. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. Ladies and gentlemen of our armed forces, on behalf of a grateful commander-in-chief, I salute you. Like I always say, a united America is an unstoppable America. Now, as we see that a lot is coming out about many people who don't exist, many people who are realizing who the voices in the dark are and many people that have, um, they're exactly who Newsweek say they are in some shape or form. Just a little bit, just a sliver. See, I opened up today's show with the, I love the way you lie, but I like it cause it hurts. The problem with America right now isn't that we're rude and nasty and want to step on each other because people are innately good. It's always good that reaches out a hand to help you. Strength comes in many forms. And one thing that is always misheard 
from that speech, and it's been around for almost half a century, is that the strength lies in you. You don't need to wait for someone to help you. You don't need for some savior to come. You don't need a leader. You are the leader. And that's something that people don't understand very well. Some people may say it, but do they really believe it? What am I going to do? I, I pay my mortgage. I'm on social security. I, I'm simply a barista. You know, I, this, that I'm nothing. You are everything because collectively, a united America is an unstoppable America. See, I, over a year ago, this is March, I told you that this virus was created. I told you I saw the seams on the code that had the adenine tails. I told you that no disease except for syphilis dumps off of... Uh, don't bet armadillos. Um, you know, uh, no disease can cross from one animal to another ever, unless it's genetically modified artificially. This is it. And I said that it would, you know, many people discount it. No, 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 no. It was released from bats. It was released from this. It was released from that. Now, over a year later, everyone is saying what we've been saying for over a year and a half. Now, many people sit and say, well, these diseases, they are, they do exist coming from animals. So, and I have a few, rabies. Do you know what rabies is? So rabies to an animal causes brain dysfunction and, you know, It's a bacteria. It's the weaponization of their systemic disease to you getting a bacterial infection. It's not a systemic viral infection. You will not get a virus from any animal whatsoever. Let's make that distinction because I can't expect everyone to be a biologist and I can't expect anyone and every single person to understand the difference between a virus and a bacteria. People think that when they're sick and they have, uh, you know, a virus that back that antibiotics work. No, they don't. They work on bacteria. And there's different ones, gram negative, gram positive. It depends how you can break down their cellular walls. And you live with bacteria. The reason you function and are up and running is because you have mitochondria, which are bacteria. It is the ultimate symbiosis. Well, the problem is that people, people, humans have this idea that they can recreate life and amplify it and attenuate it. They believe that they can create the ultimate obedient servant, the ultimate obedient soldier, the ultimate obedient anything to serve them. And this is done through genetic manipulation. I mean, we've seen it through history. I mean, come on. The people that gave you math and astronomy, we're talking about mermaids and half goat, half human, half, hello, hello, okay, it's mythology. That's a pretty messed up thing that everyone's sharing the same idea of half animal people, just saying. I mean, they might be saying, oh, they, you know, they mated with a horse, which is technically impossible. But I have told you many times, you can look it up. My 
instructor, the person that taught me how to recreate life in a lab was expelled from the university that he was at because he used cow cells to grow humans. Hello? Yes, Albite. He didn't want them to live. He wanted to see how he can, you know, use, uh, you know, ovums from bovine, you know, bovine ovums, bovine cells uh, to take it up a notch. Is that ethical? For me, no. You shouldn't be messing with things like that. But on the other hand, when you're looking for progress, lots of people cross a lot of lines. I mean, the University of Surgeons in England would take poor people and cut them live so they can understand how surgery is done. Things change. So I just wanted to say, if you think that you're more advanced now, you're sadly mistaken. History is not what they tell you. History is not what they tell you. So I thought, I found this fascinating, fascinating, fascinating video of things about the Statue of Liberty. I want you guys to just take a moment and watch this Photoshop of what they believe the Statue of Liberty really looked like in real life. And while you watch this, I want you to think, what year was the Statue of Liberty provided? And these states, we, we've talked about this before. We've had a show on this where we talk about how um, uh, they fought over having the Statue of Liberty. So I want you guys to remember the year that the Statue of Liberty was brought uh, and how it was created, uh, how it was given. They tell you it was a gift of the French, right? I want you to think the year it came and then remember the fight of where they're going to put it. But then I'm going to show you some deep, dark secrets of uh, the Statue of Liberty that you probably didn't know. So here we go. I want you guys to enjoy this Photoshop video. So that was a recreation of what the Statue of Liberty uh, supposedly looks like. So now let's uh, learn about the Statue of Liberty's secrets. 
considering you got the date of when the Statue of Liberty was delivered and when they fought over it. Let me check the chat. Do you guys remember the year that the Statue of Liberty was brought to the United States? So it was uh, about 100 years to the date, right? 100 years to the date, right? 100 years to the date that uh, this nation was created. Boy, it started to pound down on rain. Well, now let's look at the five darkest secrets of the Statue of Liberty. Ever since we were small children, our parents and teachers told us it was important to learn at least a little about the most relevant historical monuments in our world. Liberty Enlightening the World, better known as the Statue of Liberty, is one of them. This is located in New York and is one of the most iconic monuments of all times. You surely have heard people talk about it sometime. Who hasn't? However, even this kind of construction keeps important secrets that you would have never imagined. This is why in this opportunity, we'll show you the five darkest secrets of the Statue of Liberty. But before we begin, make sure to hit the subscribe button to get notified every day for more amazing content. With that being said, let's begin. Number five, a tribute to Lucifer. As it's told by its name, the message given by the Statue of Liberty means getting out of the oppression provided by slavery. Or at least that's the information we've always managed. But what would you think if we tell you that this is probably not true? May the great symbol of the American freedom and democracy be capable of hiding such a dark secret? According to history, this monument was a gift to the United States of America received by the French people as a symbol of friendship between the two nations. Its sculptor, Frederick Auguste Bartholdi, worked for a long time to build this powerful structure. On October 15, 1924, it was declared as a national monument of the USA, and 41 years later, it was added to Ellis Island, next to the mouth of the Hudson River. The main idea was that this statue was the first thing the travelers can see when they got into American territory. But even if the inhabitants watched this monument proudly and with a lot of admiration, Others believe that there's something hidden after the harmless metal structure of a woman. They say there's a so much more convoluted meaning headed only to a few chosen ones. And perhaps they're not wrong. A pretty important detail that has been unnoticed by almost everybody is that the statue has her feet chained. They're also in the middle of broken chains, and that's a feature that's hard to observe because it's already in the top of a pedestal. Why would the biggest symbol of liberty be chained? Perhaps because it was chained before, but it has been released from oppression? That's a pretty likely scenario, but not everybody thinks the same. Chaos was unleashed when sometime after it was revealed that the creator of the monument, Frederick Bartholdi, alongside the rest of the people who were part of the project, were Masons. One of the oldest brotherhoods of all time, with the biggest amount of members. Likewise, the Illuminati were among this group, which is a cult that many people consider it was linked to the praise of pagan gods and Lucifer itself. What do you think? Do you think the sculptor's intentions were praising his own god? instead of representing freedom for a whole nation? Number four, a gift from satanic groups. People have always talked about secret societies and their worshiping ceremonies. Masons and Illuminati are still the most mentioned of all. However, despite it said that these groups were dissolved a long time ago, there's always someone who believes and asserts there are still some Illuminati hidden around the world, whether if they're hiding in the worlds of fashion, economy, showbiz, or politics. As the Statue of Liberty acquires a huge importance across the years, it has been often related to the brotherhoods that want a new world order. Some sources assert that its author was a Mason, 
We believe there's no doubt of it. But were precisely his beliefs what made him hide secret and satanic messages within the whole statue? According to some researchers, the Statue of Liberty had been originally designed to be placed in Egypt. But as it was rejected by the fact that Egypt's governors couldn't take care of it, he decided to give it to the USA as a second option. What do you think? Allegedly, the monument had some hidden elements that the Americans didn't know how to interpret immediately. This is why they preferred to consider it as the maximum expression of freedom. They'd finally broken the oppression that kept them locked for so many years, so they needed to make a sort of statement. However, it's said that the statue's face and torch were related to pagan goddesses, which aim was the destruction of the new order. The statue is basically a representation of Semiramis, a prostitute from Babylon according to the Bible. The lighted-up torch was another hidden symbol from the Masons that represented knowledge and the sun. Nonetheless, others assumed that fire could be a clear representation of Illuminati. After all, the main symbol of this brotherhood was precisely fire. What do you think? There are several theories about the real meaning of the Statue of Liberty, but all of them agree on the same point. It is an evil representation that states the real intentions of these hidden communities. It has been even mentioned that it is the female version of Lucifer, a version holding the light, knowledge, and power the Masons and the Illuminati have on life. Number 3. Number 7 as a Sacred Symbol Have you ever paid a visit to the statue? If you have, you were certainly impressed by its size and the amount of details it has and represents at least from the approach that many people have in school. However, as we've previously stated, this Iron Woman hides more secrets than we think. How is it possible that there are so many things hidden after a simple freedom statement? Well, this is barely the beginning of what we'll reveal later. Have you ever wondered about the numeric meaning of each one of the details in the statue? If you haven't, then you might be surprised to know that the worship to number 7 has been strategically placed so people don't notice it. According to several numerologists, this is a sacred number that has a huge influence in our society today. Just as you heard it, seven seas and continents are parts of our world. The rainbow has seven colors, seven wonders of the ancient world, seven notes in the musical scale, seven virtues and seven capital sins, seven sacraments and seven heavens in Islamic beliefs, so it's seven gates to hell. How about that? On the other hand, it has always been mentioned that every numeric symbol has been related to some kind of value that has to do with freedom. However, this is apparently not the real cause. Why do all of these digits end up in the number 7? That's the question that many experts ask themselves. The statue's crown has 7 spikes and the window in its head are 25. The pedestal is formed by 16 Roman columns and there are 16 leaves surrounding the torch. If you pay enough attention to each numeric value, you may notice how the sum of both digits have number 7 as a result. What do you think? Even the monument's height has to do with this, because it's 151 feet, a number that can be divided by 7. Is that a coincidence or an intentional act? Write down your opinions in the comments below. Number 2. Could it be a Muslim woman? Across the years, hundreds of hypotheses have been said about the true meaning of the Statue of Liberty. And so, as it has been talked about satanic cults and strange links with the Illuminati, this monument has also been considered as a powerful symbol for the immigrants. Ever since the United States was founded, this has been a huge debate. Frequently, this is used as an argument about why the northern country must receive the ones who just want more safety and job opportunities with its arms open. But what many people don't know is that this gigantic silver woman can hide a fascinating detail once you think of the huge amount of Muslim refugees who have entered the country. It is said that the sculptor Frederick Bartholdi built this statue as a Muslim woman. What do you think? They say the French man inspired on an Egyptian peasant instead from that time instead of a rich lady. 
This would turn the structure into Colosso de Rodas from the industrial era. If you've related this monument with something typical from French people, you'll surely be surprised to associate this to Middle Eastern. But even though it seems incredible, some researchers have assured that Bartoldi found his inspiration in Egypt instead of France, as many people imagined. It's not for free that the statue was offered at first to the inhabitants of Egypt. In very few words, it is said that the sculptor imagines a Muslim peasant which original destination was the Canal de Suez, an artificial sailing route located in Egypt that connects the Mediterranean and the Red Seas. This woman had to have a torch as a lantern, a symbol of progress for the Egyptians. However, after years of researchers, this idea was discarded by the Egyptian ruler called Mehmet Ali. The Smithsonian Institute on its side hasn't finished digging on the monument's history in order to clarify what the real facts are. According to them, Bartoli decided to start his project being inspired on a visit in 1855 to the Nubian monuments of Abul Simbel in Egypt. There he developed his passion for huge constructions and colossal structures. After presenting the draft paper for this huge statue, the negotiations with the country never had any positive results. This is why he didn't have any other option than visiting the American continent. What do you think? Do you think we've actually lived in deceive for so long? Number one, is the Statue of Liberty a man? Have you ever thought that the Statue of Liberty is actually a man? Yes, you can laugh, but according to the arguments of a researcher who has analyzed this monument's history, this theory can be true. Even though for a long time, the most popular belief was that the author was inspired in his mother's face, the historian Elizabeth Mitchell assures it's totally the opposite. The expert, as she was writing one of her books called Liberty's Torches, realized that Bartoldi might have been inspired by his brother. Can you believe it? According to her, the statue's face structure is not the one of the French sculptor's mother. Its eyebrows were more arched, its nose and lips were thinner, and it even had a smaller mouth in general. It was right after taking a look at the images the author had from his brother that Elizabeth was able to notice the man's face a little more carefully. Her surprise was huge when she realized that he had some features very similar to the statue. Stories tell that Bartoldi visited his brother daily, who in his years of adult got mad and had to be reduced to a special clinic. Sometimes the sculptor would spend hours just watching him. On the other hand, Edward Berenzos, a history professor in New York University, asserted that Bertoldi wasn't inspired in any of those people to create this statue. Instead, he thinks he was inspired by the Greco-Roman classic man sculptures. What do you think? Whatever the truth is, do you think this monument's face is inspired in a man? If this is so, we're pretty sure that part of our world's history would be a total deceive. Alright, Top Fivers, if you haven't already, make sure to visit our other channel, all right, so that was a lot of information, a lot of misinformation, but they were all hypotheticals of five strange facts. So some facts, though, we must examine. So when you guys saw the Photoshop, the woman didn't look really like a woman. She looked like a man in drag, right? But I want to take you down to like Joan of Arc, Cleopatra, all these very strong women. And one thing is, is that they were all women, but because they were so strong, when they deified them, they made them look more like men because they could not uh, believe that something so feminine can be so strong. Now, there's a story that a lot of people don't know. And this is a story that uh, originated uh during the time, but this is before the Egyptian rule. This is, um, well, no, it's after. 
So let's go to after first. So we have Thucydides, who was a an ancient Greek transcriber. And he spoke of a myth that has been forgotten because most figures that have changed the way the outlook is always get forgotten because that empowers people, uh, simple people that haven't been deified. When you deify someone, they stick. So there was always this one uh, female figure that appears throughout time in various ways. Now, the Statue of Liberty, from what um, I had seen from ancient philosophers, we're talking 5,000 BC, from uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs that speak of that myth, and they believe that Cleopatra was then the same, and yada, yada. The Statue of Liberty actually represents a woman who the demons were able to use her ideas of a unified people and of free people that um, completed servitude to each other. And they chained her. And the demons supposedly, you know, um, glorified that. So it's quite interesting that a lot of people didn't know that she had chain feet. There's a lot of people that don't know that. But science and math tell you a lot. See, she's standing on a hendecagram, which means an 11-pointed star polygon. Hendecagrams, so you know, are supposed to be approximate to the shape of how our DNA molecules are. That's number one. Hendecagons, uh, just in general, are patterns that have been used in many religions uh, throughout time. And a lot of people don't know that. Now, this woman um, that they depict has the same structure and um, form as a an Egyptian god that a lot of people don't know of, and her name was Mertzegger, right? Uh, you can't even find information on that Egyptian uh, goddess, per se, uh, because they don't allow it. Uh, there's very little known. They claim that she was the protector of the dead. In fact, Mertzegger, right, was one of the most loved gods by the people back then. She had, um, she was very um, forgiving. She was there at the time of the destruction of the Egyptians, just so you know, hence um, not liking her. <laughs> and hence they say that she oversees the dead. She actually killed them all. Uh, she eradicated the uh, pharaohs and the Egyptians. This is this is the real history of their mythology, if you want to call it. But she saved the people. And what she did was she empowered them to remove their masks from their face and seek liberation. This is where uh, then the kingdoms 
changed and then we had Jesus come. And so she was very um, lenient and very forgiving. She believed in redemption. She offered people a chance. She was always there to save at least one of the people. Uh, there is scattered throughout the internet some references about all this, but it's been eliminated. Because like I've said, if they've made a movie of you, if they've deified you, then you are not much of a threat. They utilize that or you were above their ability to eradicate you, right? They tried that with the story of Jesus and what he did for mankind and how he brought the message of God. There are other people that came before, right? To warn, to help, to do. Now, Meditzeger was just like the Statue of Liberty. When they got her, when the, when the rulers, the evil rulers, and there were 11 of them, okay, that represent the kingdom of Edom. It's like a, a kingdom uh, that the Kabbalists, you know, uh, take a look at. The, the Kabbalah, Klifoth um, type paganish, you can name it as you wish. Each point of that star, that um, 11 pointed, that decagram, was a demon. And what they did was the demons had put her in the middle. This is how they chained Meditzeger for forgiving humans and teaching them that they can work together, right? And overthrow all of them and that they should just do good and not seem to move forward, you know? She stood in the middle of them as they encircled her and chained her, but they could not kill her. They could not remove her. So they bound her to the earth with chains to watch. And they would use her message to draw people in. So uh, this is, I, I wanted to just introduce you to that because, you know, there may be some other stuff that they might, I don't know, suddenly dig up somewhere and try to weaponize it. So it's important that people understand how all of this kind of fits. I've said it before, studying every single religion will just show you how they originate from the same source. And um, studying history and mythology, which is history that's skewed and told as a story because it was way too much for them to conceive at that time, apparently, right? It's just watered down history, just fall into place. It's like you're getting all the corners and the sides of a puzzle and you can start seeing the picture. So I, I wanted to show you that because the Statue of Liberty right now being a representative of our nation, that beacon of light, looks sad and chained. And if she were around, she'd be crying because they win. They have her on that pedestal chained using her message to draw the masses. See, Reagan's speech was important for you to understand what he said was strength, was the people. 
And then for some reason, this landmass was put in between the bodies of water, the largest bodies of water to attract people from the whole world. And as all the people came in, this melting pot, they were used. Think of how much more you get done when you have people from all walks of life, from all religions, those be man-made manufactured religions, legitimate religions, the religion, no religion, pagans, dark arts, people that walk with sandals, high heels, sneakers, those that like to wear chinos and booty shorts, and it's a mix. Solutions and advancement come really quick when you have diversity. And now that they've come to that point of fullness, that they've taken what they can from these mere mortals, and they've recognized how they operate, what makes them tick, and learn to tame them with lies, beautiful lies that people like to hear. They want to contain them. And this is why I keep saying, chain me, cane me, but you will never tame me. That should be something every single red-blooded American should be saying. Because right now, that's exactly what they want to do. That is exactly what they are doing. And a lot of people would say, well, that would never, ever, ever happen in the United States of America. They would never, ever, ever segregate us based on our ability to, uh, you know, have a specific uh, health um, quota. How do I say it? How's this? This has been done before. And I want to show you, and for those listening, I want you to hear this very, very well. This has been done before. It is not the first time that they have created a group of people that they want to target. And it is not the first time that they are experimenting on human beings on a mass scale. This time, they're using the whole world. And this time, they knew they could get away with it. So I want you guys, and Nazi was yelling in German. I want you to listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. Hope you guys are ready for this. I found this on Facebook and you really need to hear this so you can see what the plan really is. Here we go. Hold on. Let's make that. A war crime so horrifying, so vile, that even the Nazis were like, whoa. Millions suffered under the Nazi regime, but perhaps none so more than twins. A Nazi was yelling in German, twins, twins. In a place full of horror, he was the most feared monster of them all. Mangler came in and gave me a minimum of five injections and declared laughing. Too bad. She's so young. She has only two weeks to live. And we're injecting them in the little kid's arm. We just shoot them right into the vein. The content of those injections, we didn't know then, nor do we know today. If I died, Miriam would have been given a lethal injection, but I refused to die. After the war, Miriam was always weaker and sicker than I was. Eva was determined to discover what had been done to her and Miriam. I was between life and this. As Miriam's condition continued to deteriorate. Mengele went on the run. 
and he became part of the Nazi hunt. The fight to find Mengele took on an air of desperation. But I couldn't give up. I can't ever give up on the truth. What did Mengele inject into these children? The Nazis deported her and her family to Auschwitz-Birkenau. So as we were standing there, my mother grabbed my twin sister and me by the hand, and she hoped that as long as she could hold on to us, that somehow she could protect us. The cattle car doors opened, thousands of people poured out, everything was moving very fast. And I, my childish curiosity, I looked around trying to figure out what on earth is this place when I realized that my father and two older sisters disappeared in the crowd. Never ever did I see them again. A Nazi was running in the middle of the selection platform, very clearly yelling in German, Twins! Twins! He noticed Miriam and me, and he demanded to know if we were twins, and my mother said yes. At that moment, another Nazi appeared from nowhere, pulled my mother to the right, and I can see oh, still as my mother's arms were stretching out toward us, and she was pulled away. There was so much pain in her eyes. That is the last image that I have of my mother. I didn't even understand that that would happen, because I might have done something to run back to my mother and say goodbye. Once we were processed, we were taken to our barracks. Crude and filthy, modular horse barns. There on the floor were the scattered corpses of three children. I have never ever seen anybody dead before, but the message to me was clear that in this place, children were dying. So right then and there, I made a silent pledge that I will do anything and everything within my power to make sure that Miriam and I shall not end up on that floor, that we will somehow survive and walk out of this camp alive. In the morning, they were awakened by a visit from the so-called angel of death, Dr. Josef Mengele. We were Mengele twins. Mengele would count us every morning, and he wanted to know how many guinea pigs he had this day. They would take us to a blood lab. They would tie both of my arms, take a lot of blood from my left arm, and give me a minimum of five injections in the right arm. The content of those injections, we didn't know. After one of the visits to the lab, I became extremely ill. I tried very hard to hide the fact that I was ill. But instead of tying my arms, they took me to a side room to measure my fever. And I knew I was in trouble. Mangala came against five other doctors, looked at my fever chart, and declared laughing. Too bad. She's so young. She has only two weeks to live. I knew he was right, but I refused to die. If I died, 
Miriam would have been given a lethal injection so he could cut open both of our bodies and compare the autopsies. For the first two weeks, I was between life and death. I remember most of the time waking up on the barrack floor as I was crawling because I couldn't walk. And even in semi-conscious state of mind, I kept telling myself, I must survive, I must survive. I would fade in and out of consciousness. It took me another three weeks before my fever charge of normal. Miriam, when I got back, she was sitting on the bed, staring into space. When I asked her what happened to you, she said, I cannot talk about it. I will not talk about it. By January 1945, the Nazis were on the brink of defeat, and most of the Auschwitz prisoners had been forced marched to other camps. Eva and Miriam were among those left behind. On January 27th, the Russians came. There were 180 children among the freed prisoners at Auschwitz, and they were now expected to overcome the Auschwitz nightmare. After the war, Miriam was always weaker and sicker than I was. Years later, she developed severe kidney infections that did not respond to any antibiotic. And they found out that Miriam's kidneys never grew larger than the size of a 10-year-old child. Her kidneys started to deteriorate. The doctors kept asking me to find our Auschwitz files. Eva was determined to discover what had been done to her and Miriam, what they had been injected with, especially Miriam. It was very, very important, life-savingly important. She reached out to major newspapers, magazines, and television networks in the United States. No one replied. Guess what? Nobody cared. I was doing everything I could do to find as much information about Mengele's experiments and did not end up with a lot of results. In the fall of that year, Eva flew to Israel to donate a kidney to her ailing sister. As Miriam's condition continued to deteriorate, the fight to find Mengele, or at least his files, took on an air of desperation. In 1993, Miriam Moses died of cancer related to her kidney problems. It was pain, a lot of pain and a lot of anger. Nobody understood it. Maybe even today nobody understands. But I couldn't give up. I can't ever give up on the truth. Searching for answers would become a lifelong mission. How fast do we forget? Where is the press? Four years ago we were in this building. The world seemed to show us that they cared. I accuse the world of stopping to care. Isolated by her confusion and rage about what had happened to her, Eva suffered tremendously. Eva was at rock bottom. Then one day she had an epiphany. I remember that the last project that Miriam and I worked together before she died and was a documentary done by a German television about the Mengele twins. And in that documentary, there was a Nazi doctor from Auschwitz. 
So August of 1993, I am heading to Germany to meet a Nazi doctor. I was so scared, but I remembered about Nazi doctors I did not want to experience again. Eva had her own agenda and was disappointed when Munch said he had never worked with Mengele and had no idea where his files were. However, Munch had more to say. He was stationed outside the gas chambers. And when people were dead, he would sign one death certificate, no names, just the number of people who were murdered. And he said to me, this is my problem. This is a nightmare that I live with. And he was extremely remorseful that he was part of that regime. I asked him if he was willing to go with me to Auschwitz and make the same statement that he made to me. And he said he would love to. And I wanted to thank this Nazi doctor for his willingness to document the gas jump. I didn't know how to thank the Nazi. I didn't tell anybody about it because even to me it sounded strange. I didn't want anybody to change my mind. After 10 months, one morning I woke up and the following simple idea popped into my head. How about a letter of forgiveness from me to Dr. Munch? So I wanted my former English professor to correct my spelling. So I called her. She said to me, now, Eva, very nice. You forgive this Dr. Munch. Your problem is not with Dr. Munch. Your problem is with Dr. Mengele. I was not quite ready to forgive Mengele. I never ever thought that I would ever forgive anybody. Miriam, the day that you left this world, I was not prepared to live in a world without you. When I got home, actually, I picked up a dictionary and wrote down 20 nasty words, which I read clear and loud to that make-believe mangle in the room. And at the end, I said, in spite of all that, I forgive you. What I discovered for myself was life-changing. I discovered that I had the power to forgive. That I, the little guinea pig of 50 years, even had the power over the angel of death of Auschwitz. As a victim of almost 50 years, I never thought that I had any power over my life. I felt free, free from Auschwitz, free from Mengele. And so, on the 50th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, Eva Moses' corps returned once again, this time armed not with anger, but peace. No more wars, no more gas chambers, no more bombs, no more hatred, no more killing, and no more Auschwitz. Forgiveness is nothing more and nothing less but an act of self-healing, an act of self-apology. Faith was lifted from my shoulder. 
that I was no longer a victim of Auschwitz, that I was no longer a prisoner of my tragic past, that I was finally free. All victims, all hurt, feel hopeless, feel helpless, feel powerless. I want everybody to remember that we cannot change what happened. That is a tragic part. But we can change how we relate to it. Forgive your worst enemy. It will heal your soul and it will set you free. Yeah, I can't do that. I don't have the strength to do that for eons. I have no strength to forgive these types of people. The Nuremberg trials 2.0 that are coming are going to be insane. I told you that in March, Fauci will be swinging from a swing and someone's going to be pushing that swing really hard. So, uh, you know, obviously everyone's coming back to it and people are understanding how, things are happening because when this first arrest does come and you're seeing it, you're seeing it seeping from the right and the left that they cannot hide it. They cannot, they are going to be speaking what we've been speaking about for the past year. They will be speaking about it and they can't stop it. In the meantime, they will give you all these conspiracy theories to jump into. They will take the truth and they will skew it and give you those beautiful lies you want to hear. Mm, answers. Answers. <laughs> those aren't answers. It's rubbish. The question you should ask is, this organization, has. they need to be everywhere. And why can I not show you them? There we go. Let's see if we can see them now. Hold on. There we go. The Alliance for Human Research Protection. The I, I telegrammed about it. AHRP. Advancing Voluntary Informed Consent Medical Intervention. They write and toe the line in what they're doing. They will put it together. I can tell you that I, I you know, I've told you this before. I look at all the rooms that we have on Telegram. And I can tell you, I broke down in tears when I saw someone complaining that in Utah, Walmart said, everyone who's been vaccinated will get a green sticker. Everyone else will wear a mask. This is the United States of America. Who is allowed to dictate such things? Who is letting them get away with it? You are letting them get away with it. You are the ones that are responsible for letting them do that. You could sit there and say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. A conversation that I had, and it's actually repetitive, is when someone was asking me, well, a, a lawyer actually asked me, how are you able to pay this much money in a retainer? Tori, where are you getting this money? And I'll tell you, it's not from you guys, right? We're talking insane money for these lawsuits. I'm, I'm doing my part, but it was because Angel actually like from God taught me something that I couldn't see before. So when I got this, this one lawyer, and as you know, next week I'll be traveling to be hitting two fronts again. 
was like, well, how is it possible that, you know, this is happening? How are you able to make that happen? And I said, well, you know what I noticed? That I was not listening to my own advice. And someone nudged me to listen to my own advice. And uh, these nudges are very important. And today I realized that I was on the right track because, you know, deja vu happened to me today and that doesn't happen very often. And when it happens, it terrifies me because the deja vu that I get, right, that I get aside from others means that I'm exactly where they want me to be. So it was a little bit terrifying, but then that means that it's going forward how they want it for a second. And so I did a pivot. So this conversation that I had yesterday and I've had uh, for the past week, you know, with the law firm was, you know, the crypto market is interesting because every token that's out there is valuable because the people give it value. There's no anything else that gives it value. If you want to trade in orange juice and there's enough of you that want to trade with orange juice, then that damn orange juice is going to be gold worth its weight in gold. So I, I made that pivot today when I saw something and uh, you know, I have told you about the crypto market. I told you that Bitcoin is, was a test run and they hijacked it because now I noticed, um, yesterday I was looking, you guys know that I'm moving well across, you know, uh, in the same building, but somewhere where I have fires. So that way I can scope out. Right. But I need the security. I mean, I can't not have that security, but anyway, um, I was in the middle of realizing that even though they hijacked it, the token is, you know, obviously more worth when you pick it. And the pivot that I made was to, to pray again, pray. Why? Because this is something they can't hijack. Think of it this way. There was a, a, a remember I talked about Shiba Inu and how, you know, it was dumped and how someone else had a lot and then Dogecoin and everyone's like, Elon Musk is doing it. But there's like a ton of tokens. There's MILF tokens. There's, uh, you know, uh, panda tokens. There's penguin tokens. There's gorilla tokens. There's this tokens. And then if everyone gets together and they decide that they're worth value, guess what? They're freaking worth value. This is the most decentralized way to make it happen. And that pivot, that pivot, like I told you, Ethereum is solid because it's the only one that gives the platform for all these tokens to just appear. So if you guys decide that this is the token and this is how we're going to trade and we give it value, guess what? Their system has to follow. Their system has to follow. Bitcoin was hijacked by them because they saw that they couldn't follow. And you're going to say, well, it's anonymous. Yeah, I could be anonymized. But if you have someone's address, you can see the movements they're making, right? You can follow stuff. It's not all, you know, obviously the more they move it into, you know, wallets, the more you lose it, right? Especially when it's swapped on platforms like Pancake and whatnot, you can lose it. And that's the thing. 
they took Bitcoin. And uh, and just so that you can see just how ingrained they are, because I'm moving, I was like, hey, I need to get a cupboard because, you know, I live in a small apartment, you know, um, for storage. So I was looking online for good deals and I found one. And guess what? Bitcoin was an option to pay. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was it Overstock or was it Wayfair? One of the two. I was just looking. And then I decided to forget it. I'll just not use it and maybe use my closet to put extra water, which I told you about. Now you're seeing. There it is. When I say watch the water, you need to watch the water and the volcanoes. You'll see it. But I noticed that they take Bitcoin. So then I started looking again. And there's high-end retailers that are accepting Bitcoin. They're all taking Bitcoin. Bitcoin. They're taking Bitcoin. It's insane. They're taking Bitcoin. I then was like, well, I expected it because I knew that the digital currency Bitcoin was taken on by the IMF. And we see that XRP was taken on by the IMF. They're trying to regulate it. They're trying to regulate everything, everything. So it's like, hey, wait a minute. The people have the power because if, you know, Doge and Doggy Coin, right? Doge, Shiba Inu has rocked the market completely. And all of these tokens are completely changing the face of the economy. It's, that's it. You've just made them poor. Told you about AMC. You saw that. Obviously, I didn't get in on it. I don't have that ability. I mean, I'm grateful. I own a car. That's about it. And a, a couple of computers. Some of them are actually disposable computers, if you know what I mean. I just keep rotating them back. You know, oh, I didn't like this one. Let me get another one. So um, it's kind of like I actually thought of doing that with mattresses where you buy a mattress, try it for 100 days, and then give it back, get a refund, and get another one. <laughs> right? But I'm trying to explain to you that the decentralization of money is coming. The more they try to attack it. This is why I said, why is anybody listening to this surfing idiot telling you about stuff? That's not happening. That's exactly what they want to happen. They want to create their digital currency. Freaking Nancy Pelosi told you, you need to be paying attention to controlled opposition. Because if anyone actually listened to that person, they'd be dead in, in the water with that. So, NFTs are another thing that are coming up that I'm uh, that I'm trying to educate myself on because this is the way I can fund lawsuits. <laughs> like if I have the time to like actually do it. So that's like I'm just saying this is where you see the power. They hurt with money because they give their money power. Well, guess what? You can do the same thing. And I saw that because I had a, a, a tokens in some, uh, let me see what the name of it is, that are literally $0, okay? $0 for like weeks. $0, the red panda. And suddenly it showed up that it's worth, you know, over 10 bucks. I'm like, all right, so people are now finding that that's worth. It's like a group of people saying, yeah, <laughs> we're making money. Let's do it, right? Let's do it. This is our money. Let's make it happen. This is how it happens. But I'll tell you what, there's opportunists too. There's a lot of opportunists 
they'll create like these cult groups. You listen to me. This is how you invest. And then you make them rich and then they dump the stuff. The people are in control now. So the people globally have taken control of the money and that terrifies them. These are, this is why we're having a lot of moves in the crypto market. And I know a lot of you like, damn it, Tori tanked when you talked about it. Well, it's gonna, it's gonna regulate itself because people are now realizing they're in charge. So that's one aspect, money that hurts them. The people are creating their own system of money. And since there is a push for that cashless society that Nancy Pelosi wanted, saying that poor people that are unemployed because of COVID don't deserve paper dollar dollar. They should just get digital credits. That's what they were talking about. This is why the ransom was paid in Bitcoin. And they're like, we don't know who had it. Shut up. You can trace the wallet addresses to wallet addresses to wallet addresses because they're going to convert that shit into money at some point. So stop lying. Stop lying. Right? It's not that dark. Not that dark. So physical money (laughs) is being phased out because they control it. Digital money is their Achilles heel because the people moved on it first. And now they're decentralizing that power from them. So that's one. So the traditional market and the crypto market have now merged and there's no way out. And this is where they're stumped because the people realize, well, their pockets are hurting. And this is how we get them by hurting their pockets. The only way they can fix that is by quick EMP to destroy everything and nobody has anything, right? That's where they get everybody poor. And then they start all over again. But they're too, they're too what? They're too greedy to do that. Even though, just like the former chief of disguise for the CIA said, an EMP would cause chaos, but it would bring it back to where we need it to be because this is how the cities and country will be created. The cities will be working on their own currency and people will be slave to their currency that they decide the country will go back to barter and using precious metals to identify the worth. (laughs) Hence why they're so upset about the silver market. So I wanted to show you how decentralization of power happens. And that is very easy through just the simple concept of money. That's number one. But then the other way you decentralize their power is by making them speak your language, by making them have to talk about what you're doing, by making them almost cry. And you guys know I love watching Matto cry. Take a listen to this. Can only do it in Arizona. They are going to do it in Georgia. Wisconsin Republicans are going to make them do it there too. There are Republican-controlled counties all over the country that are starting to do it as well. All to declare that Joe Biden isn't really the president. And last election, 2020 election, shouldn't really count. 53 percent of Republican voters in America believe that right now Donald Trump is currently the lawful president of the United States and Joe Biden is therefore an illegal usurper occupying the White House even though he lost the 2020 election to Trump. A majority of Republicans already believe that. 
Where does this go as they now start to uncount the election from 2020 and invent theories and explanations and wild tales about what happened to the voting machines and what happened to the ballots that mean that the 2020 election shouldn't be counted? And you're going to see, has that ever happened? Well, not in America, but it has recently happened. So I just wanted to give you a taste and a thought of how this can all happen. Because this is going to be the elitist, the globalist soon. Let me show you how this has happened and how it was done. It was pretty interesting. I mean, annulling presidential elections is a big deal, right? Can't happen that easy. But it did. Take a listen. It was a unanimous decision. Five constitutional court judges nullify May's presidential election result, saying Peter Mutarika did not win a second term. Fresh elections have to be held within 150 days. Opposition leaders who were caught welcomed the ruling. We're happy with the judgment. Uh, justice has prevailed. And we shall make further comments uh, after reading the final judgment. Thank you. We came to seek justice. We just got it. Celebrations erupted in opposition strongholds. Judges said there were too many inconsistencies in May's election. Some people may have voted more than once. There was ballot stuffing and some figures were changed using typewriter correction fluid. Holding another election in a few months will be a logistical nightmare. Opposition supporters say they want guarantees that there will be no repeat of the widespread irregularities and vote rigging that damaged electoral credibility. In 2017, Kenya's Supreme Court annulled that country's presidential election because of irregularities. Malawi is now the second sub-Saharan country to have a presidential vote overturned. There will no longer be an attempt by any other party in the future possibly to simply do certain things underhand. And it also emphasizes the point that uh, you need to go back and invest into our electoral system. Should we continue on the first past the post? Or we should now start looking at 50 plus one or any other system that uh, would uh, eventually secure or assure of a free and fair election. For months, there have been demonstrations in several parts of the country over May's disputed election. Some of those have been violent. Mutarika's ruling DPP party can appeal the constitutional ruling at the Supreme Court. No one from the party was willing to go on camera after Monday's constitutional court ruling. The country is tense. Earlier on Monday, the streets of the capital along were eerily quiet. Many people chose to stay at home, not sure what's going to happen next. How a rerun of elections is handled could improve or deepen Malawi's political and economic crisis. Harumutasa Al Jazeera, Lilongwe. And that's what's up. Let's take a quick break. I thought I would showcase this. I don't know if YouTube's going to strike me for it, but why not? I want us to listen to this song. It's pretty dope. Uh. 
Tens of thousands on my right, thousands by my side War between good and evil, watching our fists collide Battle for our freedom now, to the streets we ride Flags waving all around, pages full of pride This is where we make a stand, no more give or take March around the capital, storm the city gates Putting pressure on their necks until the truth breaks All walls of corruption, take out all the snakes Star Spangled Banner, got it playing loud and proud People from all walks of life, filling up the crowd Defend the constitution, many warriors avowed Casting down any among us who have bucked and cow. Enough with tyranny, we come to take our country back. For all citizens, white, red, brown, or black. Return it to a former glory, fix the bloody crack on the crown. Fetch it down, it's going down. So, we are getting some truth out there, and they are terrified. They're very terrified. Actually, we talked about the Native Americans, and I thought we'd shift a little bit in gears and go back to it. Because, believe it or not, my favorite comedian who had an indigenous scholar on discussed Biden's atrocious policies. Well, wait, there's going to be more of those. So I wanted us to comment on this together because I haven't seen this. This actually popped up in my face. Look at his face. He makes me laugh. I still remember him hanging, you know, free and clear a little bit to the left, naked, protesting against globalism and everyone made fun of him. I totally dug him for that. He owned it. See, when you own yourself, when you own everything you do, nobody can own you and nobody can hurt you. And you are unstoppable. People need to understand that. So we're going to look at this and then we're going to circle back to Statue of Liberty because yesterday something happened to her. Something happened to her. You've accepted that mainstream politics doesn't offer real solutions, just variations on a theme. And even apparently vividly different political figures ultimately have the same interests at heart. For example, many of the policies, environmental policies that Trump was condemned for were inaugurated by Obama and are now being carried out by Biden. I spoke to Nick Estes. He's an academic of American studies as well as a native person of the country of America. He speaks to me very clearly, candidly, eloquently and brilliantly about the kind of activity that Joe Biden has sanctioned that means that sacred sites for Native American people are being annihilated, demolished and dug up in search of copper in order to keep electric cars on the road. Is the Green New Deal more of the same? Is Biden, when it comes to it, indistinguishable from Trump? Have a look at this conversation and decide for yourself. <laughs> So to and kind of get to crow. the you know the the facts of the matter, you know, in 2008 there was a global financial crisis. In the United States, there was also what we now know as the the fracking revolution. Um, fracking technology, you know, uh, was kind of uh, being implemented. It was a way. It was hydraulic fracturing. It was a way to get at previously inaccessible or expensive forms of oil and gas in the Earth's crust. Um, and so these two things coincided, a global financial collapse as well, as well as a fracking revolution. Under Obama's administration, he implemented, you know, uh, what he called the all of the above energy policy or American, or American energy independence. And this meant increased uh, domestic oil production so that the United States could wean itself off of 
you know, foreign oil, especially like in places like, you know, Iran or, or Venezuela, and began implementing harsher sanctions against those countries as a result. And this is something that we talk about as indigenous people. We, we understand geopolitics. We understand why they're coming after our land and why they're coming after our resources. And so this began the fracking revolution. And domestic energy production or domestic oil and gas production in the United States under Obama increased 88%, right? And you also have the creation of the tar sands in, in Alberta, Canada, which has created a dead zone larger than the state of Florida. I don't know if that means anything, anything to your listeners, but it's a, it's a huge area of, of land that has been completely destroyed. They built walls around it um, to, to essentially extract this very dirty oil. And the Canadian government, you know, subsidized a lot of these projects, a lot of these Canadian corporations. Canada is often seen as, you know, the nice alternative to the United States, but Canada is also home to 60% of the world's mining corporations that plunder the rest of the planet, you know, including <laughs> my, my homelands uh, where I'm from. And so they, you know, they, they put through pipelines such as the Keystone XL pipeline. And so this is where the, the fight against the pipelines erupts. This is where the Dakota Access Pipeline really, you know, really kind of uh, galvanizes indigenous people. It was actually the Keystone XL Pipeline for us, but you know, after we we sort of won the Keystone XL Pipeline fight, then we switched to the Dakota Access Pipeline fight, and we can talk about that later. But the outcome of that was that under Obama, that that pipeline, you know, was finished uh, and then sort of finalized under Trump. And we often attribute a lot of the kind of bad energy policy. And the fossil fuel, the expansion of the fossil, a very aggressive expansion of the fossil fuel economy to somebody like Trump. But in fact, a lot of those uh, policies happened under the Obama administration. So for us, you know, we're in this kind of trap of like Democrats and Republicans when, when basically it's kind of the same wing of, the, of a, you know, the same kind of bird. And so it's it's a little bit difficult, even though we prefer, you know, to have uh, to to be colonized less or more kindly in some regards um, than the more aggressive form of of Trump. Whereas Trump, you know, represented something that was very, you know, it was it was a naked form of colonialism that was like very easy to grasp. You know, he valorized genociders like Andrew Jackson and you know John Wayne and things like that. So that was that was a bit easier for us. But now now that we have Biden you know, a kind of return of Obama's policy, what we're seeing, and I'm kind of bringing this back to the, the question you were talking about, a green transition, what we're seeing in, under the Biden administration is another kind of energy boom and another kind of energy rush. And, you know, this happened also under, it also began under Obama and was very much uh, aggressively expanded in, un, under Trump. But Biden, you know, with his $2 trillion uh, green transition plan, you know, he, he commits to transitioning the entire federal fleet, all the cars that the federal government owns, into electric vehicles. That requires an immense amount of metal, such as copper, right? And things such as lithium. Where are these things going to come from? Right now, China is like the number one producer of, uh, of copper and lithium. And think the thing with copper and why it's so important is that you can't, the, the kind of copper that's needed in renewable technologies like electric vehicles, wind turbines, solar panels has to be very pure. It has to be uh, mined and, and it has to be mined. It can't be recycled. So it has to come from somewhere, right? And so, you know, Biden gave this kind of speech um, during his campaign, and it wasn't a public speech, but he gave a speech to 
um, one of the largest mining associations in the United States, basically saying we're at a dawn of a new era of mining. Um, and just like you know, the Obama administration wanted to increase domestic oil production to wean ourselves off of uh, foreign imports, we as the United States want to also increase our production and extraction of what we, what we are calling strategic minerals. Um, and that includes lithium, right? That includes uh, copper. And so in, under the Obama administration, there was um, this rider to the, the National Defense Reauthorization Act and I'm sorry if these like this is a little bit boring because it, it kind of gets into the weeds a little bit about this stuff. But there was the writer to this the National Defense Reauthorization Act back in 2012 or 2003. I can't remember. Um, in in uh, an Arizona congressman or senator named John McCain added it basically to to sacrifice or to designate an area of national forest or um, an area controlled by the. Um, um, a national forest in, in Arizona, which is also an Apache sacred site to be opened up for mining, copper mining by a company called Rio Tinto. And the idea was that if this mine um, went forward, it would produce uh, the one fifth of the United States need for copper, anticipating this green transition, anticipating wow. this green renewable revolution. The green renewable revolution. They all got paid out. So this is what they're doing. Now, I, I saw a lot of comments on the back end from my foreigners as well that are listening. They don't understand the concept of decentralized exchange. We'll get into that. But I really wanted to share this. Um, uh, this happened yesterday. And, you know, yesterday I wanted to talk about this, but I was so distracted. But like I said, She's crying now because people are letting it happen. And it's just so coincidental that her heart was shot out yesterday. I'm going to I'm going to show you what I mean. In Rio Grande there's a Statue of Liberty there. I don't know if you guys know that. Well, the Statue of Liberty was, it actually fell yesterday and was pierced right through the heart. Hey guys, I'm over here at blazingpress.com. Did you see this? A replica of the Statue of Liberty falls and is pierced through the heart with a, with a pole. A power pole goes right through the heart of this replica of the Statue of Liberty in I believe it's a South American country, um, Rio Grande. This happened yesterday. And uh, the winds that brought it down were 75 kilometers per hour. And it was pushed, this pole, right through the heart. Could this be a warning from God, someone says, of something really bad that's coming to America? Chain me, chain And notice me. the the picture on the side of the wall there. There's a little girl there standing there with her tongue stuck out, like she's all yeah. <laughs> is that weird? What do you guys think of that? Uh, interesting, isn't it? That's very interesting. It's very interesting. The discrimination, the hate. It's just really bad, and the history that is all skewed. All of it.
you're going to see June being a hot month for many people. The infighting within patriot movements has escalated to proportions I never thought I'd see. And hence me calling them out. I mean, they're all losers. Red State Talk Radio was controlled opposition. I mean, hello. Anyone there is. I've made that clear. I mean, now people are figuring out, you know, what the whole Infowars stands for. They're starting to see it. I mean, how many times do I have to be on point? I told you about volcanoes. They're going crazy. I, you know, and those of you that have been with me, I think even when we went to the funeral, for those that, you know, we drove together, what did I say? No tap water. Don't drink the tap water. Don't drink the tap water. I've said it again and again and again. There's a lot going on. And now, you know, weeks later, you're seeing the water having boil orders. Yesterday, I hopped on to Wuhatan, Kansas's, you know, meeting of how they're crying about money and whatever. And they have a boil water order, tap water. People are like, well, I have a filter. No, no, no. You're lucky if you have a well, right? You're lucky. Make sure you're the one treating it and that no one's throwing anything in soil around you, right? But it's really important. I talked about volcanoes and boom, new volcanoes, right? Volcanoes. Wait till the one that's going to happen happens. Now that will be very interesting. Now, I have said this before. Everybody tells you who they are. It's your, it's up to you to listen and not listen to the sweet lies, the lovely lies, the beautiful lies, right? That's the thing. The beautiful lies that they tell you, the beautiful ones, the ones you want to hear, the ones you want to talk about, the ones that you believe satisfy you or satisfy some notion you had. So before we get to seeing our president speak, I thought I'd show you, remember Newsweek came out talking about people that don't exist. That's only one small portion, right? That's Pentagon DIA. There's more. And hence why some people are just so off, off that they can't touch. I mean, you'll understand that later. Let's just leave it at that. But here we have an interview, Will Somner, the guy from Daily Beast that foams at the mouth the minute he hears anything about Q. Anything he hears about Q, he foams at the mouth. He goes insane. He just, he hates Q. Because here's the thing, OGQ, QQ, Q-ish, whatever. Well, I mean, whatever. I thought that I could start just to play like 10 minutes of this interview, and then I'll share the link as well. Uh, it starts off by saying Austin Steinbart is and will continue to be fully abiding by the court-mandated conditions of his release. This interview was pre-approved by his probation officer and does not violate any restrictions. Here we go. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Cool. So, yeah, what are you up to now? Uh, well, I'm sitting down for an interview with this guy named Will Summer. <laughs> sure. So you were in what, uh, Scottsdale or Phoenix? or Yeah, Scottsdale. Cool. Um, and so it's been it's been a couple months now since you've been out, right? Maybe one month? Yeah, about a month and a half. So how, how do you like being out? 
Freedom is nice, that's for sure. Um, I, I tried to make the best of my prison situation, so I uh, made a lot of friends, read a little prison commissary store, um, you know, spread the uh, Q message amongst the inmates, which was uh, very popular, especially once uh, the Bison Horns guy, Jake, got arrested. They, they started calling me the jefe of the Q cartel in there, which I thought was really? pretty funny. Cause, I mean, it's like 70% Paisa, so that was like a Paisa joke. Really? So, so they, yeah, I mean, so how did they react to, uh, to hearing about QAnon? Uh, they, they reacted pretty well. Uh, most people, like, kind of had no idea what I was talking about, but uh, I got sent in some email clips from the Amorphs Archive and uh, just some other, like, supporting materials. And so it was interesting to have, um, you know, various little beta tests for various and, little uh, communities. Other, like, like, who cares about what? And um, how can we bring everybody into our big tent here? Because that's kind of the idea. Okay, great. Um, well, so, you know, I mean, I think Mike mentioned, you know, so I'm working on this book about QAnon. Um, and I think, um, obviously, you're very, you know, what you're doing in Arizona with the SMG, I think is an interesting aspect of QAnon. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm up to. So just to, to explain, I guess, um, you know, my project. Understood. So what do you got so far? Yeah, um, let's see. I mean, you know, kind of a lot, lot of the classics, you know, we got, um, you know, QAnon in the pandemic, we got, um, you know, QAnon, you know, and, and crime, um, you know, sort of families in QAnon, that kind of stuff. Um, and and, and I, I don't quite know, you know, in a way you're so unique, I think, in QAnon lore that I'm not quite sure where you fit in. But but I think, um, you know, hopefully I'll figure, you know, we can figure that out together. And uh, I can, because um, I do think, you know, what, the, the whole the, the thing you're on is, is very interesting so um you know i i think um you know i'd be i'd, I'd be doing the readers a disservice if i didn't uh, include you in it well happy to help you hash that out and i i understand you're likely going to take a skeptical position and that's absolutely fine with me but uh, just just don't mind you know mixing up with whoever so cool so yeah so i mean if you could tell me how did you first become aware of QAnon? Um, a few days before it started, I was in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and uh, I, I uh, got a drop of kind of a, a briefing of, of what that was going to be. Okay, so you were already, like, part of this, like... It, it... Do you guys remember when Q started? Do you guys remember the date? Does anyone remember the date? Give me the first date that you guys know. What happened that I have told you in October of 2017? Do you guys remember? October 25th, I sent an email. October 27th, Pence arrived. Do you remember that? I just want you guys to keep note of dates. Yeah, it would be fair to say like in, in the intelligence community? Um, I'm, I'm more of like, I'm not like an official part of it. I'm more of like a slapstick computer guy that is like a you know, external subcontractor that they use from from time to time. Um, so I was aware of it early on. And if you look back on uh, like my Facebook during 2016, we were doing this thing called Burn Back. And uh, a lot of a lot of the media out there likes to say this was a Russian, you know, influence operation. But essentially what we were doing is we were chopping up WikiLeaks into small clips. And we were taking it from various standpoints. So from the war files uh, to the civil rights and racial stuff to healthcare, kind of like something for everybody. We were uh, chopping that up and turning it towards hyper um, narrow segments of the left and using um, 
hashtags, trending hashtags, and then uh, click farms and robots to get that into the feeds of very selected lefties. And we were very effective in getting a lot of them not to turn out. So um, like black people in Milwaukee, for example, uh, I had a friend that played in the NBA at the time, and we were very effective at hyper-targeting these keyword, uh, email clips showing the things like the Clintons, when they were running Arkansas, created an official Confederate holiday or some of the just crass language they use about Africans, Americans in general. Um, and hyper-targeting that into black people in Milwaukee and make them see like, hey, you know, screw this lady. She's not, she's not for us. So they, uh, they like to make a big stink about the, uh, you know, robot operators in like Macedonia and stuff. But really, those were just people off of Fiverr, right? Like it wasn't that crazy. So they, they're making a big, big deal about it. But it really wasn't a Russian thing. It was an American thing. So yeah. where that applies to QAnon is if you look on my Facebook, a lot of the kind of like style and language and some of the uh, phrases that I used kind of like carried over into QAnon, like on the board. Okay, so so you're at this meeting and they say what, like QAnon starting in a couple days? Um, I can't say exactly what was said, but but more or less. And so when do you start to think that you're, you're Q? Um, well, I, I knew I was like, one, I'm part of the Q team, right? So, so I'm not necessarily, um, you know, the, the guy running it all. Like me right here, right now is not the guy running at this moment in time. I'm more of like a field operator. Uh, but it was designed to be like styled around burn back, kind of what we did in 2016. And uh, I had thought, you know, I had talked about a lot, of, a lot about the quantum stuff. I thought that was kind of a bunch of silliness. You know, usually in the, uh, if you ever work with anybody in the intelligence community, they'll tell you like, you know, mostly truth, but they'll throw in some like flamboyant lies in there so that if you leak, everybody knows exactly where it was leaked from. So I originally had thought that was the case. And uh, over time of working with this stuff, I realized like, man, this is actually what they're saying it is. And um, it's, you know, it's effectively a time warping computer and a time warping internet interface where somebody you know, 20, 30 years from now in the future, it could be sitting in their, in their kitchen and post to forums of today. So correct me if I'm wrong, but, but basically you're, the, 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 what you and your, your followers believe is that Q, Austin Steinbart from the future is sending these, clue, these two clues back to us now. And, and, and I feel like I'm probably oversimplifying that, but I mean, it, it, is that correct? That is correct. And it sounds pretty out there. So the example I like to use is if, if uh, you were to go back and tell people it like 50 years ago um, that, you know, FaceTime would be a thing, right? I would be able to talk to somebody in on the East Coast or even in Australia. We have people who work in Australia that I could have a face-to-face -face conversation with them with zero latency and with HD quality and be kind of like I'm sitting in the same room. They would say, oh, you watching too much of the Jetsons or, oh, you've been, you know, you're doing a little science fiction stuff. So um, it's, it's technology that's out there that's coming. And uh, it definitely sounds, I would say that's the most out there sounding aspect of our message, but that's absolutely what's going on. So then it, it, at what point do you decide to sort of gather this group of people around you? And, and you know, you had this, this operating, this Geronimo and, and all this stuff. Um, so, so I was uh, nudged, you might say to um, come out and put my name on this and like have there be a person, a place, a source. Um, I was not crazy about that idea in the first place just because a lot of the uh, negative repercussions that have happened to other people in the past, specifically towards individuals who talk about an entity called D6, 
which is the covert paramilitary wing of the CIA. Um, people who have tried to report on that in the past have not fared well, so I was not particularly crazy about doing that. But essentially, it was um, designed to be you know, a support network, a human blockchain, and a demonstration of how many different sorts of individuals we have coming into this movement. So, so kind of the style of the boards um, was designed to be vague enough to appeal to a lot of different groups of people. So as, as if you're writing a book, you probably are aware, we got kind of the, uh, you know, traditional, like, evangelical right that, that's very drawn to it. We have like, the UFO disclosure community, which is traditionally like a, a left community. We have the spirituality community. So like tarot cards, uh, spirit crystals, you know, so on and so forth. Um, we have gamers. Um, so we have, we have all these various, um, I would say, political constituencies that the board posts, they were designed to be vague enough to allow all these different groups to kind of cast their own ideas, preconceived notions onto, onto what was happening, but specific enough to kind of breadcrumb trail them in a generalized direction and kind of trying to bring everybody together and start paddling in the same direction. So I would say as far as like getting a bunch of different sorts of people paying attention to this, it was a very effective thing. And then um, we're in the process of just trying to, you know, essentially operationalize that grassroots movement and get these groups of people to come together and realize like we're not all that different. And a lot of us want the same things and we should move, move forward towards that end. And, and, and so, what, I mean, what are those things that you want? I mean, when you say you're all moving in the same direction, I mean, towards what? Biggest one is an Internet Bill of Rights. Um, so as I demonstrated in the uh, FBI situation, your right to free speech does not apply to the internet, right? So um, all the lawyers were telling me that entire time, if I would have done the exact same sort of speech, if I would have said the exact same things, standing on the corner in front of Dado's office versus on a YouTube video, there's absolutely nothing they could have done to prosecute me because that would have been First Amendment protected speech. So it was a demonstration that our rights don't necessarily apply to the internet. Um, the other thing is recognizing that social media is the de facto public square now, right? So, so having a social media account is an essential um, component to be able to participate in the modern political conversation. So in the same way that um, the power company can't censor you for your political opinions, like they can't turn your power off, the phone company can't shut off your phone because they don't like your political opinions. The social media companies, they cannot um, restrict your access to social media because they don't like your political opinions. Right, so that's kind of the idea there. Um, and that's very important, we feel, for a lot of different reasons. So essentially regulating social media like a public utility. I mean, but I mean, but surely there's a larger goal behind, you know, QAnon and the, the quantum computing and everything like that. Yeah, so that's, that's um, one, one of our goals. Another one of our goals is um, to break up the CIA and move the uh, good people into DIA and not have an out-of-control CIA anymore. That's kind of running around, starting fires all around the world that we then have to engage with militarily and waste a bunch of our you know, tax dollars and uh, American lives. Um, another one is the, to reform the FBI from the ground up, and federal law enforcement in general. Um, and the idea is kind of one of the things I was talking about before I went in there is that we really connect with some of these lefty groups because we're trying to go in there and say, hey, look, so Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, John F. Kennedy, a lot of these people that um, are essentially leftist heroes, right? What happened to them is that the FBI deemed them 
um, like Russians, communists, subversives, right? So they put them in category. That's essentially a category of foreign enemy combatants. And what that did was that opened the legal door for them to be teeing off on those people, spying on them without warrants, uh, sending people to follow them around and spook them out. And um, in a lot of cases, even going as far as killing them extrajudicially. So, so we don't believe that the FBI should be in charge of counterintelligence whatsoever. We believe that should be a DHS thing or something, a completely other entity. And we don't believe that you should just be able to label American citizens as counterintelligence threats willy-nilly, as is the case right now. Um, and, and you've seen with kind of the, the FISA courts, right? So the FISA courts, I, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it's like 35,000 or some odd FISA warrants that have been uh, taken out over the past decade. And six have been rejected. So essentially, that's not a adversarial process. That's a rubber stamp, right? That is the judges just letting law enforcement do whatever they want to whoever they want for whatever reason they want. And so we're trying to reach out to a lot of these groups on the left and say, hey, look, a lot of these nefarious elements of the law enforcement and intelligence community have been targeting you guys for a long time and not targeting us. Now they're targeting people like Donald Trump with this fake Russia thing, right? So they don't like someone. So they're essentially going to make up a story that he is a counterintelligence threat. And they're going to use that to not just um, investigate him endlessly throughout his presidency. They're going to use that to, um, as, a, as a leverage to get warrants on some of his most virulent supporters and go after them as well. Right, so that's that's the most insidious element in my mind of the Russiagate thing. It wasn't just that they went after the you know duly elected sitting president of the United States. It's that they're saying since this is a Russian operation, a lot of the people who support him or are using things like WikiLeaks to to um, I guess spread spread the message that he's the lesser of two evils. Now they're counterintelligence threats too, and now the FBI can just kind of like tee off on them and do whatever they want with them as well. So that's a pretty wild situation and uh, pretty unacceptable in an American system. And uh, so that's one of the things that we're really looking to rein in as well. So, so from my perspective, you know, ending foreign wars, reforming law enforcement, um, reforming intelligence, internet bill of rights, uh, things like that, I would think would be very uh, appealing to uh, Democrats or like modern lefties, right? And I feel that they've just been so triggered by Trump that they're not necessarily able to like take a breath and see that like, hey, what these guys want is actually what we've wanted for a long time. Like a lot of the stuff is like traditionally what we've talked about for a long time. Um, and I would say to, to people like you, no one has been more effective in persuading Republicans that these foreign wars are a racket, that the CIA and the FBI are out of control, that... Um, you know, so private companies or, or social media companies need to be regulated like utility. Nobody's been more effective at that than the Q operation, right? So I would think that if you came up in a, uh, as a Democrat, right, you're like a classic liberal, that you would, you know, whether you'd agree with every single uh, facet of the Q movement or not, that you would see that as a thing that's taking, you know, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Republicans and moving them towards a like classical liberal position. If you plead guilty to this, and if you don't, there's a strong possibility that your trial is gonna be delayed to next year. So this was, with this particular prosecutor, this deal was offered to a few different people I knew in, in sort of the white collar crimes um, area. And I was like, you know, I know- Regardless of what you think of Austin Steinbart, 
his rights were stripped from him. But I thought I would share with you something that I have had for a very long time. And dates are important. Consistency is important. And this is what's important. Facts, truth, and transparency. Transparency is always key. Now, let's go to that amazing interview. I know this is an extended tour, he says. But for those of you that are listening on the podcast, I shared the Internet Bill of Rights draft that I had put. Now, I posted it online in 2018, but that was actually sent on February 1st, 2017. And then again, (laughs) with a birthday card in June. And then again, with a stack of documentation that I provided in the summer of 2017, as you saw from the email. And I only showed that email, the one where Flotus couldn't make it, just so that I can dispel any thoughts of dates and times that may not, you know, be understood by many. So here's the full interview yesterday with (laughs) none other than Cortez. When I was like, I'm tired of you, Cortez. Talk to you later. This is what occurred. Sitting down with us, uh, this experiment of Joe Biden as president, it's only been four months. And in a short four months, America is enduring numerous crises, both abroad and at home. It seems our country is deteriorating very fast, even faster than I would have thought your reaction. Well, it's pretty obvious. You look at what's going to happen is even scarier. The border is a disaster. We had the strongest border we've ever had. And within a month, uh, it became the weakest. And now you have tens of thousands of people flowing into our countries. And many are criminals, frankly, released from jails in numerous countries. We have people coming in from the Middle East. We have people coming in from everywhere. You go to the airport, you have to show how you're doing. You come through the southern border and you just walk in. We had the strongest southern border ever, and it's very sad to see. Uh, The wall was so important. You know, we built almost 500 miles of wall. And within a month, it would have been finished, and they ended it. They ended it. Took two and a half years to get the approvals to do it. I had to go to court to do everything. We got the approvals. And so you have open spots, and it's ridiculous. I hear they're going to close them up, but now... It's a big deal with the contractors because those deals were those those transactions were made. It was all complete. But you look at so many other things. Uh, it's very sad to see what's happening. Inflation is going to be a big problem. It's going to drive a lot of things up and down, whichever is worse, because uh, bad things happen with inflation. But you see that happening all over lumber, the cost of lumber, the cost of gasoline. You look at gasoline, what's happened. I was at 287 uh, was uh, was high. Uh, that's when I got involved. Right. And uh, it was in the threes and a little bit in the fours. And then I got came in and I had it under two dollars. I had it for a dollar eighty seven actually. And when I left, it was under two dollars substantially. And now it's it's going to be hitting four dollars. And that's bigger than any tax increase you can think of, especially for middle income people. So a lot of bad things are happening. I don't think we're respected in the world right now. Uh, there would never moves on Taiwan by China. Now you have bombers flying over Taiwan. Right. Russia would have never encircled Ukraine like they did. Uh, Kim Jong-un was somebody that I had a great relationship with. We weren't 
going to have any problem with him, in my opinion. And now you look at what's going on there. A lot of bad things are happening. I want to ask you about the Wuhan lab. New reporting this week from the Wall Street Journal about workers there being so sickened as far back as November of 2019 that they were hospitalized. Uh, the corporate media, now the shameful biased corporate media, is starting to come around to recognize that perhaps that is the origin, in fact, of the China virus. Even Dr. Fauci is changing his tune. Do you feel vindicated? Well, I said it right at the beginning. That's where it came from. I think it was obvious to smart people that's where it came from. I have no doubt about it. I had no doubt about it. Uh, I was criticized by the press because China has a lot of people taken care of. They took care of Hunter. They took care of Joe. They took care of everybody, didn't they? And people didn't want to say China. Uh, usually they blame it on Russia. It's always Russia, Russia, Russia. But I said right at the beginning, it came out of Wuhan. And that's where all the deaths were. Also, by the way, when we first heard about this, there were body bags, dead people laying all over Wuhan province. And that's where it happened to be located. So to me, it was very obvious. I said it very strongly and I was criticized. And now people are agreeing with me. So that's okay. When it comes to China, the more we learn about their malfeasance regarding the virus and what they knew very early on and lied to the world about, is it important for the United States that we make them pay a real penalty for what they did? Well, we have to be stronger than what we are right now. Right now, what's going on is just uh, very unfortunate. Uh, you know, I put massive taxes and tariffs on China. We took in tens of billions of dollars and they're talking about taking them off. Uh, you look at the military they're building, it's going to be, you know, just so, it's so big what they're doing. And they're doing it with money they take out of the United States. And what I did was incredible with China. We really set them back. And I don't want to set them back. I want to have a, let everybody do well. Uh, our farmers did well. The deal I made with China was incredible for our farmers and for manufacturers and uh, everybody else. And you see that the farmers are doing better than they've ever done because of what's being bought from China. But when the China virus came or COVID came, whatever you want to call it, there are a lot of different names. I won't go into all of them. <laughs> but when they came, Steve, it was a whole different ballgame. When that, when that horrible uh, virus flew over the oceans or came, however it came in, remember, I closed our country to China way early, much earlier than Pelosi or anybody wanted it to happen, including Dr. Fauci. I always got along with pretty well, but I usually did the opposite of what he wanted. <laughs> he said the vaccine would take three to five years and probably wouldn't even happen. Right. And I got it done in less than nine months. I think that's one of the great achievements. And I think another great achievement, I think the best bet ever made was I bought billions and billions of dollars of vaccine before we knew it worked, before we had it approved, because otherwise we'd be waiting until October of this year. So well, you probably got vaccinated. Most people did. A lot of people did. A lot of people are going to. And we have some out there that don't want to, and that's their freedom. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's their freedom. I would recommend that they do it, but that's their freedom. We're very proud of what we've done. But if you look at the world, I think this could have been another Spanish flu from 1917, where up to 100 million people died. This was going to this was only going to be getting worse. And uh, the vaccine has just made, I, I see numbers today are that we're doing better than we have now in a year because of the vaccine, because people, it's stopping, it's stopping this plague from spreading and going further. Our countries are behind us. Uh, we were way early. If you remember a very important time when this started, everybody was saying, look at India, how well India is doing. Well, they're not doing well. Look at other countries. They talked about 
France. They talked about Spain. They talked about different countries. Look how they're doing. Now even Taiwan is being hit very hard. But any country that was doing better than us, they'd use that as an example. We did an incredible job with this horrible, with getting, you know, getting the ventilators and getting the outfits and the goggles and the masks and all of the things you had to do. We did an incredible job. They'd always say, the fake news, look at India. They used to use India as the biggest because it was a big country. And they were doing fine then, but boy, they are, they've gotten hit harder than anybody ever thought possible. But they'll get better because of the vaccines. The vaccine is the biggest thing that's happened. And uh, second to that would be one of the best bets ever made. And that was the bet of billions and billions, up to $12 billion worth of uh, paraphernalia. But also, you know, for the, the bottles, we got the uh, injection apparatus. But most importantly, we got the vaccine. And... We bought it early because it takes so long to manufacture. So instead of uh, having one now, people would be getting, you'd start the process on October 1st. So that was a great bet. That saved possibly, you know, tens of millions of lives worldwide. Mr. President, you mentioned gasoline and uh, the specific uh, statistics are on Election Day. It was 220 a gallon national average, according to the Department of Energy. Right now, it's 311. That's a massive move incredibly quickly since Election Day. Uh, I want to ask you about inflation, though, more broadly, because you did business in the 1970s, the last time the U.S. saw really aggressive inflation. A lot of people, if they're young, have never operated in that kind of environment in America. Uh, What does this portend for Americans, this new Biden inflation spike? Well, it's going to be ugly. Uh, when you look at the cost of a house, uh, just the materials for a house, it's up 30 or 40 percent in the last few months, uh, especially lumber. Lumber, they say you can't even get it. Uh, perhaps they're closing down all their forests for environmental reasons. I disagreed with that. I said, let's buy our lumber from ourselves. So we go to Canada, and Canada is a very good, they are very good negotiators in Canada. I did the USMCA, which was one of the great achievements because NAFTA was so bad. It was so horrible. Worst trade deal ever made. Although the deals I made with China were pretty bad too, I will tell you that. But uh, the worst trade deal ever made. And I got it done. So we have a great trade deal now. But they close up forests. They don't want to take down any trees. So we end up buying them from other countries. And the lumber's gone through the roof. The lumber, I guess, as much as anything, but everything, steel, you look at what's going on with pricing, and obviously you're going to have inflation. A gasoline is going to stop at six, seven dollars, I think, uh, based on what I'm seeing. We were energy independent when I left, and right now I would have to say we are no longer energy independent. We're putting windmills all over the place, which costs a fortune. Which, by the way, if you're a believer in the carbon footprint and all of the other things. When they make these windmills, which are all made in China and Germany, by the way, they're all made in China, Germany. We don't do them here. They put them together. We put them together here. We don't make them here. Uh, What goes into the air when they make them is more than anything that can ever be saved while we're here, if you're a believer in that. Okay, some people aren't, some people aren't. But we have windmills all over the place. They ruin the environment. They kill the birds. And they cost a fortune. We have natural gas. costs us nothing. Actually, nothing. They burn it off. When you're looking at all of the those flames on top of the wells, that's natural gas that they burn off. They throw away. And we have it for nothing. Other countries don't have that. We have it for nothing. The richest in the world. And we want to give that away for windmills. You look at some of these beautiful 
farms where they have windmills all over the place. And you look at these incredible landscapes and now they're putting them in parts of Massachusetts where a lot of people aren't so happy about it and uh, has a lot of negative impacts. I'm not a big fan of wind. It's very, very expensive. You see what happened in Texas where they actually froze up on them, got a little cold and they froze. Now, we have tremendous resources and uh, solar is going to get better, but it's very expensive right now. Wind has a place, but it's got a much smaller place, what they're doing. You put them in industrial areas maybe, but to put them all over these incredible landscapes of our country, they're destroying our country. Sure. I think that Texas situation was a wake-up call for a lot of people if it could happen in energy-rich Texas, right? Well, especially in Texas because they have so much and it's for nothing. And they literally are burning it off. It costs nothing. Somebody was giving me an analogy that uh, natural gas is one cent per however they measure it. Wind is 50 cents and 55 cents. Solar is 56 cents. So here we have it for one cent, but it's probably almost nothing. Delivery is probably the biggest thing. We have it. It's there. It's a natural byproduct. We have it. Wind is so much more expensive. And remember this, when those windmills after 10 years have to be replaced and they start to rust and rot and you go out to Palm Springs, California, and you take a look at those wind farms out there, they look like junkyards. It's really a terrible thing, and uh, somebody led this country. I had it slowed down, but now they're really gearing up to do a lot of wind, and that's not a good thing. Now, staying on this broad topic of the economy, I want to ask you about big business and specifically big tech, because a lot of these firms, I would say most of these firms, they are globalists, and they don't really view themselves as American companies anymore. They abuse American workers. They attack uh, our values. Was it a miss when we Let's just stop right there. If you guys remember when this whole thing went down and they were waiting for President Trump to give a speech about the control of virus, right? And I told you, the virus isn't the thing. It's the vaccine they want. And there was no way he could sit there and say, there is nothing. They just want to vaccinate you. He's got a toe in line or else they cancel you. I mean, they just canceled the whole nation, right? (laughs) I mean, they've canceled the president on uh, a global, any global platform for social discourse, right? But you have to think about it for a second. Remember what I said? He said, oh, I'll let these experts tell you. He never said anything. He let Dr. Death come forward and talk about it, right? He let Dr. Death come forward. I told you that many times. Look, he's like, here, here's your, here's your smart people here. You want these people here. Take them, take them, take them. These are the people. I'm not a doctor. They are, and you love them. So take them. It was genius. It was genius. Cause no one can blame the president if their own experts did it. He's not a doctor. Therefore, he can't be blamed. That's the way it is. A lot of people don't like to hear that. But let's take it from a doctor while we take a little snap out. I want you guys to hear it from a doctor within the ranks. That'll say it himself. He'll tell you himself. 
Here we go. Come on. Senator from Kentucky. We may never know whether the pandemic arose from the lab in Wuhan, but we do know that so far no intermediate animal host has been discovered. Thousands of animals at the wet market have been looked at. None of them have carried COVID-19. We've tried to infect COVID-19 into bats. It doesn't grow well in bats. It seems most adapted and suitable for humans. We may not know whether this ever arose out of a Wuhan lab, but I think gain of function research where we take a deadly virus, sometimes much more deadly than COVID, and then we increase its transmissibility to mammals is wrong. In 2014, NIH stopped all of this research. I'm using the same definition to say any gain of function research should not be funded in China with U.S. taxpayer dollars, and I recommend a yes vote. Thank you. Mr. President, I ask unanimous consent to vitiate the 60 vote requirement for this amendment and yield back time. Is there objection? Without objection. All time is yielded back. The question is now on the amendment. All those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed, nay. It seems as if the ayes have it. <laughs> the amendment is agreed to. <laughs> that was a little bit of a bust. A little bit of a bust. Because they all agreed to not use taxpayer dollars to research gain of function in China. But where are they going to be researching it? In Wuhan, Kansas. Aha. Uh -huh. Words matter. Selected words really matter. You better get busy. Better get busy. Because words matter. Hmm. They put a lot of money into that one. So now let's go back to our president. And listen to what else he says. He had both houses of Congress and you were in the White House. Was it a miss to not more aggressively confront big tech? Well, Section 230 could have been done. Something could have been done. But something is happening now that's great. Uh, Florida, Ron, Texas, what they're doing is incredible. They're putting very, very powerful restrictions on big tech. Now, when you add Florida and you add what Greg Abbott's doing in Texas and, and the others and a lot of people together, and you look at other states, big states and small states, doesn't matter. You add them all up, they're not going to be able to function unless they become reasonable. So they're basically doing what the federal government will never do. They will never do it. They're they're taken care of very nicely, the other side, the Democrats. Uh, some of the people, uh, Marsha Blackburn and, and uh, Josh Hawley and others, they're really fighting hard, but they're fighting a battle against uh, a group of people that just aren't going to do it. That's the Democrats. So what's happening is the big states are coming out. Florida, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott in particular, those two governors have done an incredible job. I hear in South Dakota they're doing it. I hear in uh, maybe eight or nine different states they're doing it. That'll do it because I don't know how you can, you know, you're not going to lose Florida. They can't right. lose Florida, Texas, and some of these big states. They're going to have to make changes. So I think they can do what the federal government hasn't done. And it gives people like me 
and others that have been very illegally treated. It gives us the right to bring major lawsuits. When Facebook went to their so-called Supreme Court, their Supreme Court didn't want anything to do with banning me. Right. They went back. They said, what are you doing? What are you doing this to us for? You make the decision, which was pretty amazing when you think of it, considering everybody was handpicked, right? So uh, it's very interesting what's happening. So I, I greatly respect what some of the governors are doing in some of the states. I think they can solve the problem maybe better than the federal government. Okay, but regarding the federal response, if the Republicans do retake the Congress, uh, as you're very much working toward in 2022, if you decide to run again, you win in 2024, in a potentially hypothetical second Trump term, what can be done to counter the the power of these oligarchs? Well, I think what can be done, and very strongly, and uh, when you say oligarchs, it's an interesting term, but I, I just say big tech because what they do is illegal. But they also silenced what should have been the biggest blockbuster story of the entire campaign. Uh, You know that, I certainly experienced this from the campaign side, the fact that the Hunter Biden laptop from hell story was completely censored and suppressed by big tech. In my view, that justifies labeling these operators as as oligarchs, is that fair? Well, a lot of things are fair. Look, that was when we first had uh, silencio. That's when we first had silence with Hunter Biden, because it was very bad for the Democrats. That was a very bad issue, and we'd bring it up. And I have to tell you, the New York Post was incredible. What they've done is incredible. And the abuse they took, it was, you know, I think it's a great newspaper, actually. A lot of people are relying on it more and more. The New York Post has done an incredible job in that in that regard, but they took tremendous abuse. But that's when you first saw silence. They silenced a newspaper. It's the oldest newspaper in our country, I believe, and it's a big one. But they silenced a newspaper in our country because they were talking about Hunter Biden. And the Senate we held, if I weren't involved in the Senate races, nobody ever says this, I believe it would be 60 to 40 right now with the Democrats leading by 10 instead of 50-50. And Mitch McConnell lost two seats that he should have had. He kept talking about, we're going to give you $600. They're going to give you $2,000. Who can win a race like that? Right. He said, you won't get a penny more to the public. You won't get a penny more. They're voting. And they're saying 2000 and he's saying $600. He lost those two Senate seats. So we have 50-50. I think you would be 60-40 if I weren't endorsing. If you look at uh, Alaska, you look at Iowa, you looked at North Carolina, you look at many, even Lindsey Graham said I helped him so much and he's done a terrific job. I helped him a lot. And I got Mitch McConnell elected, if you can believe it. He was losing and he came to me, he wanted help. And I gave him help and he went up 20 points after I gave him help and he won his election. But if I didn't get him help, he would have lost right. absolutely in Kentucky where I'm very popular. I like them. I like them too, by the way. (laughs) You've been very tough on Mitch McConnell, I think deservedly so. Uh, But wouldn't the same criticisms also apply to Kevin McCarthy? Different. Uh, Kevin has had some bad moments, but he's he's always come back and done what's right for the country. So it's different. It really is different. He had a couple of bad moments, but uh, it's a very interesting question. Different in that sense, yeah. Much different. And, And you know what? He's done... He's done a good job. Uh, impeachment hoax number one. We didn't have one negative vote. And for the second, we had not very many. And those people are all being primaried. Right. I think every one of them, Liz Cheney, she's a disaster. I mean, Liz Cheney is being primaried in Wyoming. And Wyoming was my number one state. I think I won right. it by 57 right. points. No, right. 47 points, I guess. But I won it by 
number one. I think I won it by even more than Alabama and West Virginia, all great states. But I won it by uh, 47 points, Wyoming. You know, earlier you mentioned the Biden border crisis. There's uh, new reporting by some journalists in Tennessee that in the middle of the night, plane loads were, were landing in Chattanooga, Tennessee, full of migrant children. Nobody locally was informed about this. Every town is effectively becoming a border town now because of the Biden border crisis. What is the left, Joe Biden, his allies, what are they really after with this open borders lunacy? They're going to destroy this country. And forget about the children. They have people coming in from prisons. They have rapists. They have murderers. They have drug dealers, they have human traffickers, and they traffic in women mostly, which nobody likes to say. They traffic in women. Uh, they have people, the worst people anywhere in this, in this hemisphere in the world, coming into this country unchecked, being released in our country. And yeah, they are. They're releasing people in Tennessee. That never happened with me. Right. That's why Tennessee likes me. <laughs> but they're releasing them in areas that it just, I mean... It's horrible what's right. happening. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Again, we had the strongest border in history. We never had a border like this with me. And a big factor was that I built so much of the wall. What a difference it makes, it, like day and night. Also, I got Mexico to go 28,000 soldiers free of charge because they didn't want to be tariffed and because they also happen to have a very good president. I think a very smart president, a very good president. But... We had the best border we've ever had. And overnight, like, stay in Mexico. I want to stay in Mexico. Now they stay in the United States and they disappear into our country. We don't even know who these people are. They right. walk up, they can be murderers, they can be the worst, and they come into our country totally unchecked. Right. It's very, very sad what's happening. One last question, please, Mr. President, related to that. Joe Biden and his allies uh, in the media, teachers unions, they seem to be changing the very definition of what it means to be an American citizen. What do you believe we should be teaching our children it means to be an American citizen? They hate our country and we love our country. We have to love this country. And if somebody doesn't like our country, they shouldn't be here. But you look at what the way they're treating Israel now compared to what it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, Israel was, you know, untouchable. I think nobody's done as much for Israel, frankly, as I have. If you take a look between the embassy in Jerusalem and the capital of Israel and all of the different things that I've done, and the Iran deal, which was such a disaster, and Golan Heights was a big deal. Everyone, you know, for 52 years, they were trying to get Golan Heights. I got it done. But they've been a great ally. And really, you know, it, when you look at the way they're being treated right now, it's not even believable by Democrats. It's not believable. We have to love our country, and uh, you would almost think that the people that are allowing our country to be destroyed do not love our country. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. Thanks for watching. If you well, well, that was pretty interesting. So before I go, because I've got to go do that school run, I want you guys to hear something again. And I've said this as long as I've been on the air. I want you to listen to this. Yesterday's news out of Minot, North Dakota. Several readers contact me recently saying they've been cold called about their vaccination status by people from the North Dakota Department of Health. The calls are intended to help citizens make appointments to get vaccinated. But how the state is getting the medical data on which citizens are vaccinated and which are not is raising privacy concerns. <laughs> 
They should talk to the Attorney General of North Dakota on that. But let me continue. Two state lawmakers, Senator Nicole Pullman, who's the wife of Jim Pullman, who, well, actually, Nicole Pullman ran with Attorney General Wayne Stengem for governor. Nicole Pullman's married to Jim Pullman, who may or may not have been involved in a child sex trafficking case in Kentucky during the Kentucky Derby. I digress. Um, when that happened with Wayne Stengem, suddenly his wife was up for lieutenant governor with the attorney general of North Dakota. So anyway, Senator Nicole Pullman, obviously trying to get brownie points because, you know, Wayne Stengem wants to be governor now. Um, and Jessica Bell from Balua, Native American community, both Republicans, yeah, in name only, they actually sent a letter to the state health officer, Dr. Nizar Webby, inquiring about the calls. And they say, we recently became aware that the North Dakota Department of Health's vaccine initiative, consisting of unsolicited phone calls regarding one's current vaccination status, the senators write in their letter, while we understand the importance of educating society of vaccines, we don't believe it is the role of the Department of Health to interfere, interfere with the individual's personal health choices. Well, I want you guys to see the response letter that they received. It's going to shake you to the core. You know, a friend of mine that shared this with me was like, damn, you were right all along. Yeah. You've known me for four years and I'm saying this on air. Huh? So, dear Senator Bell and Pullman, thank you for your letter and concerns you raised. We all agree that the health and well-being of North Dakotans is a priority. We also agree that the right to privacy, okay, is a serious matter and should never be taken lightly. Allow me to address your questions. COVID-19 is still circulating in our communities. Those who are unvaccinated are at the highest risk of contracting the disease. Tough. My body, my choice. Maybe I want to get it. Thus, outreach for education and assistance has been ongoing. Reminder recall outreach is well-established effective tool that has been used to increase immunization coverage rates for years. The secure database used is owned, pay attention, owned by the North Dakota Department of Health. And the contact tracers are employed, the Karens that is, by North Dakota Department of Health. The contact tracers know about COVID-19 illness through case investigation and contact tracing. All contact tracers have medical or public health experience or have been trained by those with medical or public health experience. HIPAA is a federal law that prevents healthcare providers, including the North Dakota Department of Health employees, from sharing protected health information without a patient's knowledge or consent. Privacy is of the utmost priority of the North Dakota Department of Health. All staff, including contact tracers, have received HIPAA training. Vaccination conversation was held only after the contact tracer confirmed identity. They tracked them down, in other words. Individuals who want to opt out of reminders can do so at the North Dakota Department of Health website. However, by doing so, they will also be opted out of all immunization, regardless, you know, tetanus, shingles. First of all, no one ever fucking signs up for any reminders of vaccine. That's number one. Next. 
Letters were previously sent to those 65 or older who did not have a COVID-19 immunization record in the immunization database. Phone calls were done based on practices for reminder call outreach. These strategies have been used in the past for other vaccinations, including routine vaccinations such as pneumonia and shingles vaccine. As of yesterday, 1,654 North Dakotans were contacted through this COVID-19 reminder phone call outreach. The calls were completed today. Of those contacted, 8.3 indicated they had already been vaccinated. 15% said they were not interested at all. 4% indicated they're planning to be vaccinated. And 4% indicated they'll plan on talking to their doctor. Five people asked for assistance to set up the vaccine appointment. The data will be analyzed and evaluated in comparison to reminder phone calls. In conclusion, I appreciate your communication about this vaccine reminder effort. I would like to take the opportunity to meet and listen to other concerns that you may have. Together, we can serve North Dakotans better. How does that make you feel? And yesterday on my friend Chris Berg's show, someone called in being told that they've accessed his file and they can't find all his vaccinations. I'm trying to bring attention to you. For those of you that have not been vaccinated, you're probably on Facebook seeing a shit ton of messages of here's how you can go to your local community and get yourself vaccinated. I get it all the time. Every single time I put high notifications like this, but then you're not going to know. I don't give a shit. Facebook hide it. For those that are vaccinated, they don't get that information pop up. So the question is, how is it that Facebook knows Who's vaccinated and who's not? Unless you've put a sticker and a banner telling everyone, hey, I volunteered to be a guinea pig and destroy everything about myself. Nah. Citizen log, anyone? Because everybody keeps calling it, what was it? Lifelog. Stop. You think they're really going to give you the name of the damn project? Oh, so dumb. I commanded one of the biggest tools ever in mining data. Mm, actually, I would tell people to use it. Mining data, data is gold, 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 gold. And this is the only way that you can control energy and a population. You need to take their energy. Without energy, you can't function. Kind of like if, you don't, if your body's mitochondria are infected and you don't have energy, guess what? You ain't functioning. Myasthenia gravis, anyone? Just saying. Myasthenia gravis, anyone? Just saying. So this is really important for you guys to understand why I have always drawn, att drawn attention to North Dakota. Not because I'm salty, but because that is ground zero for a lot of things. Now, um, on that note, I have to get going, right? On that note, I have to get going. But I'm going to leave you with this. Um, let's put this. This is... Uh, I want to advise you on what the difference is between decentralized and centralized um, economy is. Gosh, I guess I'm going to be speeding again. Here we go. Mm. Video on decentralized exchanges. I think it is very interesting and important topic in cryptocurrency space. So today we will compare decentralized to centralized exchanges. 
More specifically, we will look at the volume, usability, security, business models, regulations, and speed. Now, as you can see, this drawn video shows a lot of little banks, but over here it's showing you Bitcoin as centralized. I'm just pointing it out. So this is how centralized is and how they move along. You can watch this on your own, but I wanted to show you this difference. Hold on, right here. Here we go. This can make trading on decentralized platforms an issue. Due to its smaller audience on decentralized exchanges, they have much lower trading volume than centralized ones. This means that finding an acceptable trade can be a difficult process. It also impacts liquidity. Lower trading volume makes it hard to buy and sell cryptocurrency and liquidate. But in order to liquidate cryptocurrency into cash, as of right now, the user will still have to rely on a centralized counterparty that deals with cash. Usability Decentralized exchanges are relatively new to cryptocurrency space and they are not very simple to use. As adoption increases and technology improves, it will become more user-friendly. But as of right now, I would not recommend decentralized exchanges for beginners. You really have to know what you are doing when you want to use decentralized exchange. Secondly, decentralized exchanges also suffer from the longer trade times. Traders have to wait for cryptocurrency transactions to complete before a trade can be finalized. Therefore, traders that require fast trade times to capitalize on the market movement will find it difficult to do so on the centralized exchange. Also, decentralized exchanges currently do not offer advanced trading functionalities such as margin trading and stop losses, making the case more difficult for traders to utilize the centralized platform. On contrast, centralized exchanges are very easy to use, especially for beginners. So this is why the stock market is easy, is what he's saying. And it's not easy when it's decentralized, because it's all in the power of the people. Now, I want to show you my tip page so you can see what, for those of you that have an extra 20 bucks, you don't need thousands of dollars. Um, so you can see what, um, where is it? trying to look for the page now. Let me see if I should click it. Okay. So it can come to the top. There we go. There's something called an ERC 20 wallet address, right? Uh, this is where you put all the tokens that aren't named as such, right? These are all the tokens that, that I have, but this is a wallet address for ERC-20. That means they're they're running off Ethereum. Those are like the MILF tokens, the Gorilla ones that I was saying, uh, NFCs. They all run off of these. ERC-20 wallets uh, are not available in uh, crypto.com. I think Coinbase has it in their wallet. Um, they are all, they're all Ethereum-based. So... Um, these are the tokens that the people create and give um, value to. Remember, I had told you last year that it's all about mining you and putting you um, first. Because with a simple chip and organization, um, you know, that's the way it is. Someone said about ADA. I don't have my ADA up here. I think I have like 10 of those. Um, someone said it about Cardano, which is ADA. Um, I have like 10 of those. I, these are where all the, the meme tokens, as they call them, come in.
So I wanted to uh, have you just kind of delve into it and, and look, because this is where you get stuff for practically nothing and you buy it and forget it. Um, and it's, and it's pretty interesting. This is how people are taking power away. And this is why the markets are going berserk, right? They're going berserk because of that. So I wanted to, to, to show you that this is Chinese, the Binance system. That's totally China, just so you know. Um, and that is how you can see what you might want to get into. I mean, it could just be just a few people. There's a, there's some tokens that I have that there's only like, you know, a thousand people that own them. It's only until more people get on that they become valuable. You see, you have the power and just like anything, just like anything. And just like Reagan said, what is strength? Strength is understanding just how powerful you are, just how powerful you are. So that is how you find your strength. Find it because together a united America is an unstoppable America. And the more people unite and decide to say, well, psht, I'm not listening to you. It's done. That's the way it is. So, you know, I'm not giving any financial advice. I'm simply showing you how the big guys are being stuck. And since the crypto market didn't hurt them enough, we thought game over right now. And we're watching a movie. Maybe that'll hurt them. But you'll see how the airlines are going to be hurting. And because of global policies, they will try to enforce them within the United States. I told you, pay attention. Clear is owned by Ron Klain. Funny how he's coming in the news now. So a lot of things are coming up and I've only stepped up the timeline in regards to giving it to you at shorter notice, only to make it more evident that this is how it is. Now, I saw someone say, oh yeah, you know, we should, with so many QAnons, you know, and Anons out there, we should have a coin called Q. That would be a setup because it offers nothing. What are you going to be doing? Trading it between yourselves? You got to offer something. Like I said, how I had um, Stellar Lumen, Stellar XLM, that I got that. Why did I get it? Because I know that PayPal is going to start using their platform to exchange money. Therefore, um, that uh, platform is going to boost because they'll be using it. So there's got to be a reason that you have a token and what its purpose is and what it represents. Don't just go in for the sexy name. I'm just saying. So um, this is something that will be used. You see, all the big banks are now heading in there. There's a bank called Quantonic. Quantonic. It's out of New York. I didn't know that. Kind of thought, let me take a look at it. Sent my opening deposit for a simple, you know, checking account. Apparently, when you use their debit card, they reward you like 1%, 2% in Bitcoin. Now, I don't like Bitcoin, but that tells you everything you need to know. And we need to see how that happens. So I'm not saying go get it. I'm testing it for you. Because that was a curveball I don't remember existing. But it might be part of something else, hence it came into my 
you know, purview. Who knows? So on that note, guys, God bless. I will see you tomorrow. This was an extended show. I had so much more to talk about, but I ran out of time. Um, there's so much we need to talk about. I really wanted to see more of that Austin Seinbart interview with you guys, you know, because no one else is going to talk about it, you know, because they know best. And the question is, ask them, who the fuck are you decoding? And why are you refusing to pay attention? I mean, all they do is lie, lie, and lie. Finally tonight, she's out of this world. The current commander of the International Space Station about to break a big record tonight. Here's ABC's Gio Benitez. They call it the Peggy factor, mission control's code word for the way superstar astronaut Peggy Whitson always gets the job done. I love it up here. Tonight, Commander Whitson making history with her record for any American. By the time she lands in September, her tally will be 666 days. 666 days in space. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist.